Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, we've got a plate so full I'm debating whether or not to make this a smarmin. You know, uh... Super Mega Awesome Movie Review Madness! 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 I think the deciding factor will be how long it takes to get through all the reviews. So, um, I'll, I'll, uh, let, you'll be able to find out by the end. So, let's, uh, start digging into both of the Equalizer movies, both of Mamma Mia's, since I already covered Unfriended 1 in the, on the podcast, we're going to be covering Unfriended 2, Dark Web, plus, sorry to bother you, and a Netflix and chat on Roadside Profits, which I will explain why that one, and the two Patreon tie-ins for the week. So, with all that in mind, let's get started. Call 911. Go killed my friends so i'm going to kill each and every one of them and the only disappointment is that i only get to do it once seeing you carrying all those books around i figured you for some kind of teacher i'm a high level paid government assassin I believe I mentioned this on the podcast uh, for Sicario, since um, that was the last one of this ilk. But basically, I missed a lot of the really good stuff from 2014 because that was the year, that was like the big hump of my unemployment at the time. And my previous reviewer persona I've mentioned before, the solitary nerd, completely went up in flames. I had no idea how to keep that going. I had gone from making consistent re- video reviews to getting struggling to get past um, the copyright bots on YouTube in 2012 of all times then to then switching over to text reviews specifically through WordPress which then turned into just crashing and burning in fact that was the year I tried to do a Godzilla retrospective and I will say the trailer for King of Monsters came out through San Diego Comic-Con and I think if I can get my game stuff uh, edited down enough so I can have a channel up and running again, I will do that as a as a completed retrospective. I'll completely redo the whole um, series from 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 the beginning. And uh, but we'll see how that pans out. Uh, I just have to get I have to have to buckle down. I must work harder. For those who caught my. Uh, <clears throat> Lit's episode on Animal Farm. <laughs> I am the boxer of our group. Anyway, 2014 was a pretty bad year for me personally. So I missed stuff like John Wick, Sicario, and The Equalizer. I was kind of un- I was kind of unimpressed with The Equalizer when I first saw it because I was just in a bad state of mind at the time. It was in fact I had to revisit my child psychologist. I um being on the spectrum, I had to actually go back to my child psychologist rather than to try because my mom figured, well, let's see. I'm currently taking my I'm currently taking my nephew to she's currently taking my nephew to the same child psychologist who is who I've dealt, talked with up until my 18th birthday. So it's either talk, find a new therapist and try to build a rapport with them, or talk to the guy I spent my childhood talking to about my condition and about depression as well. So. I revisited him for a couple of months to get back on. 
um, a good state of mind. And yeah, 2014 was not the best year of my life. <laughs> so with that in mind, uh, we're talking about the Equalizer, or as I like to call it, Denzel Washington as the Punisher, because that's pretty much what it, it's. If the Punisher wasn't as big of an antihero and was more of like a Robin Hood figure, that's uh, Robert McCall, uh, the Equalizer. And and the, so I rewatched the first movie. It was really good. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I would say that it. I think. What were my issues? I think I took notes for the first one. Here we go. Um, uh, I also think it's this in the same line of Taken. Like, after Liam Neeson made that sort of old, grizzled hero, uh, coming out of retirement sort of thing, fashionable and profitable, a lot of people tried to jump on that thing. We saw that with Jackie Chan in The Foreigner as well. A lot of stuff tried to ride that Taken train after the fact. And The Equalizer, I think, is one of the better ones of that sort of ilk. And I think it helps is... Antoine Fuqua, the director of Training Day, is the guy behind it. He is, um, like, yeah, I think looking at his uh, resume, if you will, uh, his filmography, you'll kind of see um, what he's capable, you know, all the kind of stuff he's capable of. You've got, uh, first off, Training Day, uh, right after he did something called Bait, which I've never heard of. Uh, something with Jamie Foxx, you know, ex-con used to, to, to lure criminal out of fighting. Apparently it's not very good. Um, but after that, he, after, after directing Training Day, he, uh, did Tears of the Sun, that King Arthur movie, uh, from 2004, the, um, the one with Keira Knightley, and then they tried to take a realistic approach to the Arthur Missos. Um, Shooter with, um, I believe, uh, John Cena or Mark Wahlberg. Who was who was in Shooter? I know they turned that into a TV series as well. Uh, yeah, Mark Wahlberg, um, based loosely on like an actual uh, military sniper, I believe. Um, I think at least I think it is. Uh, or basically, yeah. I know uh, WWE took up uh, after him. And I think they made one of their wrestlers the uh, Mark Wahlberg's character, Brooklyn's finest. Olympus has fallen. Then the Equalizer. Followed by Southpaw, Magnificent Seven, and now The Equalizer 2 with some uh, TV stuff, um, music videos. He did uh, the Lil Wayne Bruno Mars music video for uh, Mirror. He did um, he did uh, something some from Tony with Love, which I think is Tony Braxton. Uh, yeah, Tony Braxton uh, music video collection. So he directed some of her stuff. Um, so he's been like a... He, he started out as a music video director. He directed Prince's The Most Beautiful Girl in the World music video, as well as Coolio's Gang... Holy crap, he directed Gangsta's Paradise. I did... I completely forgot Fuqua did that. So yeah, Fuqua's an excellent director, and while he's had some mis some missteps along the way, I think The Equalizer and is kind of more in line with where he is at his best. And yeah, I, 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 I was not big on Olympus Has Fallen, although I do think it was better... Than, um, than it's than it's compatriated that year, uh, White House Down, and I do, th and of course, it is nothing compared to its follow up, the <laughs> complete trash movie that is London Has Fallen. Uh, at any rate, um, yeah, Fuqua is a really interesting director. Um, 
Apparently there was a Training Day TV series in 2017 that he produced. Okay. He produces the, t- the Shooter TV series. And um, he's working on a Muhammad Ali documentary, which is great. I'm, go- I'm down with that. Um, and something called The Man Who Made It. Uh, he's doing documentary work now. So I'm, I'm down with that. Um, I'm completely down with him try- do- taking his hand at uh, documentaries after doing uh, main. Oh, no, he's done it. Uh, something called Lightning in a Bottle. Um, uh, a documentary about the blues um, that he directed in the, in 2004. So he so he's returning to documentary film work. At any rate, um, it really he, he really I think if you want to bet a, a, an idea of Fuqua at his best, you go Training Day and I think the Equalizer movies because I'm gonna get into the sequel, but I think the Equalizer showcases him as an action director way better than Olympus Has Fallen did. And Training Day is more of, this is him as a director of drama, so to speak. And so, yeah, Equalizer is more straight-up action thriller. At any rate, I'm kind of stepping around the actual review. Uh, The Equalizer is a solid premise idea that Denzel Washington is a mysterious ex-agent of some kind. Some sort of government agent uh, who's trained to kill. And we don't really learn more about him until the second movie. But in the first movie, he's kind of a mysterious Robin Hood-like character who will start taking out, like, corrupt cops and um, even threatens the Russian mafia who becomes the main antagonist for that first movie. And it all centers around him working part-time at a freaking Home Depot, um, of all things. Like, not a literal Home Depot, but essentially a Home Depot. A... Off a movie brand version of Home Depot, where they don't use the logo for Home Depot, but for all intents and purposes, it's a Home Depot. Um, it's called Home Mart. So, yeah, we know what you're going for. And it even sh- has a great sequence where, like, uh, it shows that how he, like, uses his position at, as as a worker at the Home Depot sort of place to utilize weaponry that won't tie back to him. And it's, it's a really well-thought-out action movie. And if you're into action movies, this is great for you. I highly recommend you check it out. Um, let me double-check my notes to be safe. Um, Karis, yeah, once again, fight, great fight sequences, great choreography, the Robin Hood sort of thing, the mysterious main character who's played so charismatically. If this wasn't Denzel Washington as the, as the charismatic, lovable guy that he is, we wouldn't care. So we can play... Serious, down-to-business, killing machine, and charismatic, lovable neighbor character. He is what so many people think, want to try to do with, like, those villains that are secretly hiding a plot that everybody should be able to see through because they're so outwardly evil. Whereas, you don't, there's no reason for you to think that Denzel Washington's character, Robert McCall, is a stone-cold killer unless you get on his bad side. And he does everything under the table and mysteriously. It's all Robin Hood. He's like a he's like a he's like a puff of smoke. He pop you know he'll pop in to take care of business and then pop out and you'll never see him again unless you try to hunt him down like the Russian mob did. So, really recommend the Equalizer. I think the thing I didn't like the I think I like I think the thing I liked the least about it would have been. The whole thing with Chloe Grace Moretz, who was, this was her on the rise, like, right, this is about the same time she did, uh, Clouds of St. Marie, I believe, Saint, Saint, something, what is it, Clouds of saint Marie, hold on, Clouds of Sil Maria, 
uh, the one with uh, Julia Binoche and Kristen Stewart, where uh, Marantz is sort of like the Lindsay Lohan-style trashy um, party girl actress who's supposed to take on a serious role to up her uh, credibility. So I still need to see that one. That's another one from 2014 that I missed. Uh, but here she plays a a hooker with a heart of gold who wants to be a singer but is caught up in as as a prostitute for the Russian mob and Denzel Washington takes pity on her and wants to get her out of the life. That part I didn't like. It felt very condescending, especially towards sex workers. They even dropped the line of, now you can have a real job. And like, dude, if you're working legitimately as a prostitute, that is a real job, asshole. Condescending prick. So yeah, but that's a problem with Hollywood and of course the puritanical uh, roots in America where we see sex trade as a, has not actual work and when it's legitimate and when it's um of the of the of the worker's own volition then yes it is just another trade when it's not is when it's a problem so i think that's the problem i think that's the main reason why it's not as uh why we have this issue where we want to say human trafficking is bad and and forcing women into the sex trade is wrong but we ultimately say the entire trade is wrong and that you shouldn't have to work for sex you shouldn't have to you you know use sex as your as your work and i'm like you shouldn't but that shouldn't mean but that doesn't mean that it's wrong to do so Especially if you're like a fetish model or uh, an escort or somebody, somebody who provides the service and who has no problem using sexuality to, as their, as their skill set. There shouldn't be an issue with that. But, you know, once again, puritanical roots in this country and in a lot of the West and a lot of the, the so-called West, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm getting way too... <laughs> Way too off topic. That's just one of my main issues with the first movie is all. Um, Cut to the second movie where I honestly liked it more. It's hard to say which is better because I'd have to break break down both technically speaking from a filmmaking standpoint. I just will say that I I thought The Equalizer 2 improved in a lot of areas. Number one, they dropped the whole sex trade misogyny thing from the first movie by making the sort of, they added a new young, uh, young character who, um, is stuck in a, a, going down the wrong path. And Robert McCall wants to set them on the right path this time around. It, it, it may come off as a bit condescending, uh, cause it's about a young black kid, uh, who is almost roped into work for your local gangsters. And this is in Boston. Still, and he's almost roped in to become a drug dealer, essentially, and a, you know, a thug and a gangster. And Robert McCall comes in and pulls him out and says, "No, you're a painter, you're an artist. You, I'll, I will pay you to work, you know, to stay off, stay out of this lifestyle because you aren't meant for it." And he pull, and he pro- and there's a really solid scene where uh, McCall calls him out on it and says, "You know what? Yeah, you want to be a thug, you want to be a gangster, you want to be a tough guy here. Pull, pull the trigger. That's it's a that's it's a, it's a really solid." tense sequence where you're where you where you get to see um what's the character's name i completely i don't remember it off the top of my head um let me pull it up uh the character's name is uh dave dave york and um i believe that's it no it's um dave york is the uh 
is one of is someone that comes in later into the story. Uh, Miles Whitaker is the kid, and Ashton Sanders is the kid is the actor playing him, and he's solid. He's a he's a, I think he's he's a he's he's a young Chiron. I think a high school age Chiron from Moonlight, and uh, and he was also uh, a a sort of extra character in Straight Outta Compton. So this kid is I say kid I don't know how old ninety five. This kid, this guy is all, is a little bit is slightly older than my nephew who just turned eighteen. He is like right between the two, my, me and my nephew who are eleven years apart, and we're eleven years apart. So this, yeah, this kid, for all intents and purposes, is do I, I see good things coming out of him. If he started off um, as an extra and straight out of Compton, ended up in an Oscar award winning movie and is now kind of coming into his own as a as a character actor uh he's going to be in two things next year Captive State which is um Rupert Wyatt uh set in the Chicago neighborhood nearly a decade after an occupation by an extra ooh sci-fi uh aliens invade Chicago and have uh, been in, have been um occupying it uh, this is uh, collaborators and dissidents against the aliens, featuring Vera Farmiga, John Goodman, Alan Ruck, D.B. Sweeney, ooh, Kevin Dunn, and then Ashton Sanders is going to be in it somewhere. So, neat. Good for him. And that's going to be coming out later next year. Native Son is his other one next year. Young African-American man uh, comes of age in the South. Okay, yeah, I mentioned this before. This is Rasheed Johnson's um, uh, cover, uh, new... Um, film this is him going from the art world to directing his own movie i forget where that came up i remember that came up on the podcast before but yeah i remember i saw him directing native he was going to be directing native son adaptation uh maybe sanaa latham latham or uh who else is in this nick robinson bill camp lamar johnson ashley morgan kiki lane okay uh, some at some point this came up on the podcast i remember that but uh, so yeah, this uh, kid from the kid from this from Equalizer Two is going to be in that as well. So he's got he's got a lot of stuff on his plate. So good for him. Good. I like I like seeing young actors on the rise. See where they go with their see what they go with their careers. It's always a great sort of um, sort of like you know like watching a progression of somebody's career. It's always nice to see what happens to them. You know, like seeing Jordan Peele go from Mad TV. Uh, um, uh, improv comic to having his own show on Comedy Central as part of a duo to being an Oscar award winning screenwriter. You know, I love seeing progression like that and see what happens. Uh, at any rate, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's the kid in this movie who uh, who kind of who um, Denzel brings under his wing as uh, to kind of set him on the right path. And while that's going on, he's been talking with his friend from when he worked as some sort of a state agent for the State Department, I think played by Melissa Leo, who returns in the last movie. And you see more of their friendship, and it does feel like a genuine friendship between the two of them. And even when uh, Bill Pullman shows up as Melissa Leo's wife, uh, wife, (laughs) as Melissa Leo's husband, uh, spouse, whatever. Uh, uh, but But while she's kind of continuing to help out Robert McCall with these situations, she's also called in to uncover... What, um, the loss of some State Department assets, and that's that ties into um, 
you know, a sort of uh, covert operation that are going on that ta- that as, if you see the trailer, you know, um, they target her as well. And after that point uh, is when McCall gets involved and he even uh, reveals himself to Dave York, played by Pedro Pascal, who I swear I've 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 heard his name brought up. Uh, yeah, he was Whiskey in Kingsman, uh, and he's be- and he is probably best known as Oberyn Martell on Game of Thrones, uh, and uh, Javier Pena on Narcos. Apparently, he's also going to be in Wonder Woman 1984. So good for him. He's he's, he's getting places. He's getting places. Uh, so yeah, Pedro Pascal plays basically um, one of the soldiers in one of the former soldiers in. McCall's unit and his um his uh his sort of crew, uh, and and McCall wants to use and wants to get back in touch with him since he's also worked he worked right under Melissa Leo and he wants to try and and find out what's been going on. So, the one thing I will say is the villains aren't as compelling, uh, but they are a better match for McCall. I won't say who the villains are. Suffice to say that they're covert. Uh, group of ki- of of like ex military ki- uh, trained killers, but I will say if you've know if you've seen any sort of political thriller, you can probably uh, figure out who it is. Even me describing it to you, if you've seen enough movies, you can probably figure figure out uh, the mystery pretty quickly. So I will say that it's not as well c- crafted story wise as the last movie. I think it makes up for that with the kills, with the action sequences. Um, last movie had a climactic battle in a Home Depot. This one has a climactic battle in the middle of a damn hurricane. So it really upped the ante. And I'm curious how if they plan to do a, a, an Equalizer 3, how the hell do they follow that up? Um, but once again, and of course, once again, Denzel Washington as McCall is just a charismatic, likable guy. And especially once he figures out something's hinky, like you see in the trailer as well, uh, he finds a couple of uh, stockbroker douchebag uh, frat boy a-holes, and he, he finds out they, they, um, they hurt, they hurt, because uh, he worked, this time around he's working for Lyft, and he's a Lyft driver, and so he starts to build up some friendships there. He uh, meets an, uh, a Holocaust survivor, and he's kind of involved with that guy's storyline a bit. And uh, and so one of his pickups is a girl who he he sees has been hurt by these by these bro douchebags, and he decides, yeah, uh, I'm going to take care of this. And you and you want him to take care of it. You want to see these pricks get exactly what's coming to them, and he, it's that sort of Robin Hood um, ideology aesthetic that's in the series that I think works so well. And I, I, I that's what I love about it. And so the, I think the action sequences are bloodier and grittier, and they're they're so much they're so much fun. It's just that the storyline is so predictable. That I can't give it like a full on like one of my favorite movies, but I could absolutely put this on. This is like a this is like, eh, I'm bored. What do I want to watch? Ooh, Equalizer. So yeah, both movies are sort of that idea of oh, I love a good action movie, and these are great action movies. And this, I think, the second one's a better action movie, even though it's lighter on the story and the characters, and you know the the villainous characters. The villains aren't exactly all that compelling or smart or well-written. 
but I think having them as as the antagonist gives McCall somebody more on his level, and he has to try harder than just beating the crap out of him. And I think that works as an, uh, as as upping the ante as well. So I know people aren't as keen on this. I I remember I watched the double toe. I keep on I, I keep track of double toasted, and so I, I hearing Corey who loved the last movie sort of be um be sort of uh, tepid on this one. I get it. Yeah, I mean. It sequels sequels can do that, and I will admit this is not as well crafted as the last movie. However, this movie gave me the sequel gave me more of what I liked about the first movie and less of what I didn't like. So I'm cool with that, and I would be fine with an Equalizer three if it's still Fuqua and Denzel and Richard Wank, who is the who is the screen who is the screenwriter for the last one. And apparently, this is based on a TV series, which I want to check out. And hell, I would be fine if they left the two movies and then spun it out and maybe not Denzel, maybe they recast, um, who's a really good, um, actor at the, for, uh, recasting, um, thinking middle-aged black guys, um, uh, shoot, nobody's coming to mind, um, yeah, I'm sure, but yeah, once you find a sort of, um, middle-aged, you know, an older black black actor who can do the charisma of Denzel and then do the action sequences to boot. I would absolutely be fine with a TV spinoff. Maybe that's in the works. This started as a TV series. Maybe we it'll return as a TV series. I just like the series. Even if it ends here, I'm cool with this duology. If they want to do a third one, make it the same three guys returning. If it's Fuqua, Wink, and Denzel returning, then we're good. I'll at least give it a shot. But I don't. Yeah, I don't want to see this go too much longer. I like what we got, and I don't want us to. I don't want it to spoil like milk left in the fridge. So that's just me. Uh, I I liked this series. I've I love this series, but at the same. But I will admit, you know, it's sometimes it's best to cash in your chips before you lose it all. Grandma, you weren't invited. That's the best kind of party, little girl. My soulmate may actually be carved. Then mine must be wine. All three of us are grandfathers. And that's that. Look what you've done with the place. She wanted to make her mum proud. If she hasn't done that all her life. We can't tell anybody about the baby yet. I just told Bill. Yeah, and I told Harry. I told many, many people. You are about to become a great-grandmother. Great-grandmother. I'm living that out of the bio. This is a series I didn't think I'd be revisiting at all, considering uh, the first one came out even before I started doing reviews, period. This one, this review, this first movie came out while I was in college. And that's Mamma Mia. Now, I've never seen the stage musical. That's one I'd be interested to check out. Um, but I, I did... Um, uh, listen to some ABBA afterwards. ABBA's not exactly the best band to build a musical around. They're kind of samey sounding a lot of the times. There's some good songs that they make. I um, I really listen to ABBA Gold. So pull that up quick. Um, I will say, like I like some, I don't particularly like Dancing Queen. Uh, that one's not one I care for. Mamma Mia's alright. But I think 
personally, uh, my favorites were uh, Take a Chance on Me, mainly because that ties into My Brother, My Brother, and Me. It was their original theme song. Um, uh, Money, 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 I really like. Uh, I think those are the big ones. Um Uh, yeah, I think, I, I'm not into, ha- I have a dream that much, even though that's kind of like the go-to theme, sort of, of Mamma besides the title track. Um, and yeah, I think Take a Chance on Me and, uh, Money, Money, Money are some of their best, but Lay All Your Love on Me is just kind of okay. Super Trooper, I don't get the appeal of. Uh, oh, SOS, I do like SOS, uh, as well, when it's not sung by Pierce Brosnan, we'll get into that. Um. The winner takes all just makes me think of SpongeBob. <laughs> I'll say that. Fernando's eh. Chiqui- Chiquitita is fine, I guess. Voulez-vous is okay. Gimme, gimme, gimme. A man after man. Like, you have to have grown up with disco for this to be your thing. I, I decidedly did not. So, this... ABBA, plus, ABBA's not exactly great musicians. They're great composers. Whoever does the composition work for the for the underlying tracks are great. The singers are not all that great. They they can do go, they can do solid harmonies, but they're not ready for prime time. They work well when the th- singing isn't what's important, which for disco it honestly wasn't. Singing didn't matter in disco. You just needed somebody to fill up the track. In which case, I'm always I'm always fascinated by that. People say, "Man, I don't listen to this to this person this, to this singer or this rapper because of their tr- lyrics or their singing quality. I listen to it because of the beats." But if you only like the underlying music, why not just listen to instrumentals? Why not just find instrumental versions of all the tracks you like? Find somebody who does instrumental versions without the lyrics. Then you don't have that pesky singer or rapper in the way ruining the perfectly good music that you actually want to listen to. I'm always fascinated by. It. That mentality that I don't like that I don't like it because of the singing I like it because of the because of the the music behind the singing, in which case why listen to something with singing if it, if that's not why you're listening to it? Just saying. At any rate, um, yeah, Abba's not. A, and speaking from somebody who wanted to write, who came up with four uh, jukebox musicals in high school, Abba is not one that I would have built a musical around. I built musical. I wanted to come up with musicals built around the Eagles, Jimmy Buffett, which somebody beat me to, David Bowie, and Weird Al Yankovic. Still struggling to find a way to make the Weird Al one work. But ABBA is not one that I would build a musical around. It just, it just doesn't really work. And you see that especially in the movies, because who boy these movies. I will say my mom loves the first one. It's one of her favorite movies. And I kind of get why. It, it, I get the appeal of the first movie. It's amateurish, but it feels like a group of friends got together in a sort of big chill-like reunion and then threw on a play. They threw on a, they threw on a musical that featured karaoke. That's what it feels like. And it works for the most part in that vein. Because, yeah, it's not a great... It's a farce romantic comedy farcical romantic comedy it doesn't work on it's not a great story really all things considered uh, plenty of people are bringing up uh, with the sequel coming out that it's kind of ghetto uh 
like black Twitter is calling Mamma Mia out for basically having uh, uh, you know, a, a woman with with three possible baby daddies and she doesn't know which is which, which was the one. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I can't I can't argue with that. <laughs> That's that is the premise of the first movie. <laughs> it's really man, is it bad? Um, what makes it worse is that they didn't hire real singers. So Meryl Streep does fine. She does fine for what it's worth. Amanda Seyfried can sing. Christine Baranski and Julie Walters, for the most part, can sing. You know who can't sing? Any of the guys. Dominic Cooper. Pierce Brosnan especially. But Colin Firth and Stellan Skarsgård? They weren't even overdubbed. They did not care. Man, is it bad. I could sing SOS better than Pierce Brosnan. Uh, here, you know what? Screw it. I know I I have the melody kind of kind of uh in my head. Let me pull up these lyrics. That is about the actual SOS. Where were those happy days? They seem so hard to find. I tried to reach for you, but you have closed your mind. So when you're near me, darling, can't you hear me, SOS? The love you gave me, nothing else can save me, SOS. When you're gone, how can I even try to go on? When you're gone, though I try, how can I carry on? Let me know if let me know if you think I'm better than Pierce Brosnan, because that's my that's my that's what I put down to be better than Pierce Brosnan. You have to listen to that in the editing process to see how bad I turned out. Maybe I did turn out as bad as him. It's been a it's been a hot minute since I've been a singer. When you're gone, how can I even try to go on? I think I'm up in my nose a bit. It's but I'm I'm out of practice, man. I didn't. I spent almost a decade since I sung in college. Uh, although, if you, even if you wanted more of a rock sound, when you're gone, how can I even try to go on? When you're gone, though I try, how can I carry on? So if you wanted more of a rock sound, you know, let, let's get, let me know in the comments, let me know in, through the email how I sounded trying to sing ABBA better than Pierce Brosnan. Did I do better than Pierce Brosnan? That's the goal. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, really the only thing that stuck with me out of Mamma Mia is the Damn sequence during Lay All Your Love on Me, where it's all these shirtless dudes in Speedos flopping around on a deck doing like goose step dance sequences in flippers, where it's like hit to 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 hit high kick, high kick, high kick, high kick, high kick. It makes no damn sense and it haunts my dreams, and I want to find a way to. Memify it to give it a reason for existence besides haunting my dreams. Oof. Mamma Mia, it's not good, y'all. But I get the appeal. If you're into those sort of vapid romantic comedies and then you want something escapist for that sort of reason, I get it. I get why that works. 
I would say just watch a romantic comedy and then put ABBA on in the background. Then you wouldn't have to hear the terrible singing, but that's just me. Maybe the Broadway, Broadway cast. Maybe that's better. Musical theater does have a tendency to uh, use meritocracy more than Hollywood. I will say that. Very, very rarely do you get somebody who literally cannot sing in a musical role. However, we follow that up ten years. Ten years after the fact with Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. And the point of this movie is to do a Godfather Part 2. Namely, to continue the story from the first movie while recapping... The, pre- the lead up to what happened last movie. And whereas you didn't really know Don Corleone's backstory in The Godfather when The Godfather 2 came out, we all know what happened to Donna in the first movie. We know her backstory. And this movie actually retcons it and contradicts it. They showed us what the three guys looked like in the 70s and they look nothing like that. They completely left out why what they looked like based on the last movie. They just completely retconned it. Plus, apparently Donna studied in Britain? Cause that's where the that's where the the flashback opens up, is her graduating a college in the UK, as well as her her her, her other American counterpart. The only British one of the three of them was Julie Walters from the last movie. So why are the two of them studying in Britain, studying in Britain in the seventies? I don't get this. What happened? How did the, how did one lead to the other? Also, we learned that uh, apparently uh, Donna's mom, it, it, the the sort of prudish Catholic nun like uh, judgmental mother, is a world renowned singer. Played by Cher. Played by Cher, who has the best voice in the entire movie. uh, Entire franchise, technically. And why is she the judgy one? How can she be like this judgy, conservative woman who's a pop diva for 50 years? Like, I know the two aren't mutually exclusive, but when you think, you know judgmental, stuffy, conservative mother. You don't think pop, internationally known pop diva. How do those two make, like, you're not, you don't, like, like, they're not, that's not to say that there aren't conservative pop divas, but the way that they describe Donna's mom in the last movie doesn't make sense in this movie. They completely retconned all the things. So yeah, um, by the way, Cher, if, in, in case you wanted to see the movie for Cher, she only shows up at the very end for, uh, in order to sing Fernando, and then she just leads the credits. I don't care about spoiling this movie. You should not go see this movie. Screw this movie. You, even if, you want to know how bad this, you want to know how bad it is? Perfect example. I mentioned my mother is a big fan of the first movie. Loves it. Adores it. Doesn't even mind that Pierce Brosnan can't sing. I told her I was seeing the sequel this weekend. Uh, this weekend, uh, this past weekend, she had some uh, uh, high school reunion stuff that she had to plan on, so she was completely busy. But I, you know, I, I told her, hey, we can see it some other time if you wanted to see it. She's like, nah, I'm good. I told her about the sequel. 
I'm assuming she knows about the sequel. I'm sure I'm assuming she's seen trailer footage or TV spots since she still has cable and I don't. Um, so I'm assuming she knows about the sequel. And even if she didn't, especially if she didn't, that means when I told her I had to see the sequel this weekend and I told her I'd have to rewatch the first one, she's like, oh, I love the first one. I'm like, okay, do you want me to take you to the sequel? We can do like a mother-son uh, movie date. And she's like, nah, I'm good. A diehard fan of the first movie who who loves it despite all of its flaws, when told there's going to be a sequel, is like, nah, I'm good. That's all you need to know about this movie. There was no reason for it to exist. Not every fan, maybe, maybe not every fan is like her, but I'm assuming there's probably a good chunk of fans who are like, nah, I was good with the first one, I didn't need another one. I don't... And why 10 years? Why now? Why now? Why now of all times? Of course, the fact of the matter is Meryl Streep also is dead. So Meryl Streep died because we can't afford to have her on for more than a scene. She literally shows up about as long as Cher does in the movie. Because they can't afford... Our, we can, well, we can't afford both of them. <laughs> oh, Christ, this movie. I will say... Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again is technically better. It's better shot. It's not better choreographed. It's still, it's still like, I've seen high school productions better choreographed than the Mamma Mia movies. There are also better singers than the Mamma Mia movies, but you could find any, my, my uh, mom's Catholic church choir sings better than the, than the, than, um, than the cast of Mamma Mia, the movies, and most of them can't, and some of them can't even read music and are completely tone deaf. They're still better singers than the Mamma Mia cast. Oy vey. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to add. It, it's utter garbage. We didn't need the pre- it, The prequel contradict. like, the best thing about having the prequel is to give Lily James a chance to sing. Because she's a beautiful singer, much like Amanda Seyfried. But at the same time, she's a better singer than Meryl Streep is. So did... So did Donna for lose how to sing good in the, by the time she became a mom? Like, what happened? You're contradicting yourself. The young versions of the guys aren't good singers, but they're better singers than their older counterparts. So did everybody forget how to sing since the 70s? I don't get this movie. I don't get it. It, con- it openly contradicts itself. So yeah, not to mention the fact that, well, let's see. Uh, let's pull up the uh, two track lists. So Mamma Mia track list. We'll go for the first movie and then the second movie. We don't want the deluxe edition. We want the regular one. All right, and then let's go to the sequel. That's the Broadway Okay, and then we want the musical numbers. So, in the first movie, we have I Have a Dream, Honey, Honey, Money, 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 Mamma Mia, Dancing Queen, Our, Our Last Summer, Lay All Your Love on Me, Super Trooper, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme a Man After Midnight, the name of the game, Voulez-vous, SOS, Does Your Mother Know, Slipping Through My Fingers, The Winner Takes All, When All Is Said and Done, 
take a chance on me and then the credit sequence and then there's a hidden tr- take a chance on me is the uh end credits song and then there's a um there's sort of a hidden track of i have a dream and thank you for the music uh sort of thing that's a ma- that amanda seyfried sings it's like a secret track that wasn't in the movie we go to the sequel when i kiss the teacher which i never even heard of one of us waterloo why did it have to be me i have a dream again kisses of fire on dante on dante the name of the game again knowing me knowing you mama mia again angel eyes dancing queen again i've been waiting for you fernando my love my life and super trooper again that's right um Chiquitita is from the first movie as well, that one. And they repeat that in the movie. Well, it's an instrumental. I think a bunch of the stuff. Um, there's a bit of, repri- there's a reprise for SOS where that's the only bit Pierce Brosnan sings by himself. Um, so that means for the sequel, they had, the only songs that you've probably heard of if you aren't a diehard ABBA fan are Waterloo and Fernando. And the others are in the last movie. So it's a bunch of B-list deep cuts and then repeats from the last movie. And then the rest of ABBA Gold, apparently, because, oh, we never finished the full album. We need to finish off ABBA Gold. And then fill up the rest of it with whatever you can find laying about. Yeah, this is a weird case for me. It's technically better than the first movie. The first movie is a chaotic hot mess, but it had a passion to it. It had it had a vim, a vigor. It had it had a liveliness that everybody wanted to be there. Corey from Double Toasted pointed this out in his review. There's a there's literally a point on camera where Pierce Brosnan just gives up while doing the choreography. It, it ever no, I don't think anybody wanted to be here except for Lily James because she got a chance to shine. Abby, uh, Amanda Seyfried isn't that isn't exactly all that into it. Her fight with um, Dominic Cooper is forced and stupid. The fact that we're still the same, we still haven't progressed all that much from the last movie is pointless. Cher being added to the movie as the grandma for no reason is comes right the hell out of nowhere. And it, and the whole point of her singing Fernando was, was hinted at at the very beginning of the movie, so everybody saw it coming. This this movie is it feels like an obligation. It feels like nobody wanted to be here, but they had to because of the studio obligation. That's what this movie feels like. And I can't imagine anybody really wanted to do this movie besides the studio. But but let's see. Let's take a look at the first movie. That's the stage musical. Let's go to the movie. First movie cost $52 million. It made $600 million at the box office. The sequel cost a little over $75 million and was only able to just barely make back its budget, uh, which we'll get into during the box office report. So the first movie was a phenomenon. Everybody loved it. But you know what? Before we get into the box office report, I do want to dig up what the heck, what um, Mamma Mia uh, opening weekend was. Opening weekend. Oh, wow. It's actually, this one actually opened higher. 
Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's $2,008. Hold on. Hold on a second. So... Okay. Hold on, folks. We have to do some math. We, we have to start doing math. So we want... $27 million in 2000, whenever you're ready. Okay, $27 million in summer of 2008, let's say same time, July, to current date. Oh, right, we have to do June. Oh, wait, hold on. I did it wrong. I I left out a zero. I can only do up to ten million. What the hell, inflation calculator? You're garbage. Yeah, let's try this one. This is a West Egg. Okay, twenty-seven million. Nope, I forgot a zero again. Good thing I called it. And we want 2008 versus 28, uh, final year. So this is fiscal year. So we'll do 2017. Will cost $27 million in 2008. Would cost $31 million. So, yeah, it only barely opened up higher opening weekend uh, from the last movie. Uh, but the last movie, I think, was able to last longer. Uh, let's take a look at where the... Yeah, it had a staying power to it that lasted all the way until November. So, I don't... And, of course, it made a lot of it back, it seems, in the foreign markets. Because if it made $600 million, and a lot of it seems to be in the foreign markets, highest grossing seems to be Australia, as well as Japan... And South Korea, most of it comes from the UK. So we'll see. We'll see how the foreign markets uh, thought of it this weekend. But yeah, um, I don't know. I don't see the second one having the staying power because it doesn't feel like a passion project. It feels like it feels like everybody had to be called back to work after they were told they had the weekend off. That's what this movie feels like. And the best way to describe it is from my co-host on, on Living in the Stacks, Diana, who is also the co-host of Macintosh and Mod. Go check them out, too. I'll be on their, uh, one of their upcoming episodes. I'll announce when that comes out. Um, but, yeah, she put it best when I told her I was seeing the movies. She said, don't watch the movies. They're garbage. Just go listen to Abba Gold. And I highly recommend. You don't need to see these movies. If you want your ABBA fix, just go listen to ABBA. There is no reason to see either of these movies. Oh he killed Lax. Who? The ones who buy the videos, the ones who pick the girls. What the hell? They've all been watching. Oh my god. That's my mom. No! Can't they find the rest of us, too? They've had control this whole time. Please, leave us alone! 
Get out of there right now! I can hear you. Are you still Kelly, there? I can't I just see can't. you. Oh, yeah, So I thought I was podcasting early enough to have covered Unfriended. Turns out I only covered Friend Request on the podcast because that came out in 2016. Unfriended only came out in 2015, so I do have to cover that for the podcast. Um, I completely spaced and didn't watch it. But I can tell you this much. I do remember what happened during Unfriended. I will say this, too. I'll cover Friend Request in a bit during the Netflix and chat. I'll recap it. But Unfriended is the better movie. Basically, what happened in Unfriended is a group of teenagers are Skyping with each other. It takes place all during a Skype chat on a desktop. So it's all screen recorded, and we're seeing everything through webcams. And what happens is these teenagers are kind of um, talking about a girl who had killed herself recently, and that girl's ghost comes back to haunt them and gets them to kill themselves, basically, on camera. So it was a ghost movie... It's basically the same thing in Friend Request where a a ghost comes back or a demon possesses a computer and it's not as stupid as Friend Request, but Unfriended was kind of doing the same thing and did it slightly better because it's less, it didn't try to explain its stupid, stupid, stupid premise. Um, So yeah, uh, I will say I didn't much care for Unfriended. Uh... I, I didn't, but I know it's be- way better than Friend Request. I will say that. So yeah, Unfriended, it's Blumhouse. It's it's the best thing going for it is its unique filming style. That's it. Everything else is just kind of rote. The storyline, especially, is pretty stupid because once again, it's a ghost possessing the computer. Ooh, yeah, not interested. Meanwhile, in the sequel, Dark Web, Unfriended Dark Web. We go, we completely drop the pretenses of the supernatural. This isn't about the supernatural. This is real world hacker kind of stuff. Now, I will say with that in mind, if you understand anything about computers, you'll probably be, you'll probably treat this as a comedy more than anything else. I knew, I knew just enough and for me to already not take it seriously. I do take it more seriously than the first one, Friended, though. Because the premise here is uh, uh, sort of, I don't know if he's technically in college. I think he's a college graduate, though. Yeah, they're all college graduates. Uh, so these late, these mid-20-somethings um, get together for game night over Skype. And they play, um, they, and they, uh, play uh, Cards Against Humanity with each other, which is, you know, that's very realistic. I'll say that. Um I, I know exactly the kind of stuff that goes on with that. It's it's a hell of a fun game to play. I'm I I, I totally buy into that. Um, but the main character Matthias is dating a deaf girl who, just to be safe, let's take a look at her. Is this a case where they hired a able-bodied actress to do the role, or do they do like um, the deaf girl in uh, in um, crap? What is uh? What was he love it? It's one of my favorite movies this year. Um, um, the uh, A Quiet Place. They hired a deaf actress for The Quiet Place. Did they do something similar for this movie? Stephanie Nogueras, uh, Puerto Rican descent, left her home in New Jersey. Da, da, da. Criminal Minds, Grim, switched at birth. 
Stephanie has quickly become a role model as a commanding presence in the public eye has been inspiring for both deaf and hearing, hear, and hearing alike. Okay. Yeah, so she's another deaf, um, beautiful woman too, Stephanie Nogueras. Uh, not that that matters, but you know she's very lovely. I can see why they hire her as a model. Um, Natalie Pierce in Switched at Birth. And then Alma Hernandez on Criminal Minds. So let me see, like, if she was born deaf or w- what's her story? I'm curious. I'm, I'm new with her. Uh, I've never heard. Here we go. Famous. Here we go. Bio. Da-da. Grant Rochester Institute. Da-da-da. Co-host of the Toronto International Deaf Arts and Film Festival in 2015. Raises funds for a deaf school in Puerto Rico. Aw. I like her. I like her. She's my new favorite. Anyway, uh, so that's good too. Once again, deaf roles for deaf actors because they deserve it. You know, why? You know, why get somebody able-bodied to do it when it comes more naturally to somebody who is not able-bodied? But you know, that all depends on the role. I know that also depends on the role and what you want out of it as well. So, uh, yeah. So um, this time around, so Matthias is dating a deaf girl, um, played by. Uh, uh, Stephanie Nogueras and he's developed he was he wanted a new computer to develop his app which is an interesting idea uh, I'm, I'm curious if other app developers are working on something similar but the idea is it translates speech into ASL so it can you can um, now the idea now, the, now does point now she does point out that you're using that for me for you to understand me but I still don't understand you so the idea would be uh, but you no you, I'm, you you're doing this for me to understand you. You're not doing this for you to understand me. So I think an idea. So the ideal would be, and if Matthias was smarter, he would do it so that you, it's a dual translator. So you can sign into it. It's a video uses your webcam. So you sign into it. It translates into English, a la Google Translate, or you can speak into it and it translates into ASL. That's brilliant. That's a beautiful idea. An ASL translator makes perfect sense. You'd make you'd make a mint on of that. But he's so focused on her understanding him that he for, that he begins to neglect him understanding her, and he kind of misses and he kind of misses that point, and that's kind of an r- underlying thread through the movie. But he he took a computer from his workplace that was left and lost and found, and as it turns out, uh, it was uh, it you begin to un- find out that it's tied to a lot of stuff on the dark web and tied to specifically this sort of secret underground uh, organization that runs in human trafficking, snuff films, all kinds of nasty stuff. And they begin, in, they begin hacking into people's computers and messing with them. So there's a sequence where, uh, they, where uh, they, trick, they start tricking the uh, people involved into precarious situations. There's, one, there's almost one that's almost like a jigsaw moment that when it happens... And then they're like they seem to be everywhere. They're all reaching. They're almost like a they're almost like a Hydra uh, from Marvel Comics or like a, like a, like a Spectre from James Bond, where they just have agents all over the place. And that part is a bit silly. I think that part is it go, makes it kind of more uh, hyperbolic. But the idea is still interesting. The idea being that here is this secret organization involved in the dark web and they they are elite hacksaws if you will and they're toying with these 20 these 20 somethings that don't know any better 
and uh, even the one who does understand computers, who's an IT, who's, who's more involved in information technology and knows how things work, is able is is uh, fooled by them. Eventually, you know, he even even he can't stop this on this this secret cabal of ha- of leaked hacksaws and their killing and their kill and their killing spree and whatnot. And yeah, it's 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 better. It is better than the first movie. I think this is the right direction to take. The question now is, do they continue in this direction for the sequel? Because I'm assuming the, the last movie cost one million dollars to make. The sequel, the, the sequel, cost the same. These cost a million dollars to make, and and um, like the only actress I even reckon, like Stephanie Nogueras is is better known for um, for her stuff uh, on uh, TV, but I haven't. I'm not familiar with her. Um, I do recognize the one girl um, from her work in other Bloomhouse productions. She was in just an, she was also in this year's Upgrade, and she was also and she was in the Purge Election Year. That would be one of my favorite young up and coming actresses, Betty Gabriel. She is awesome. Uh, Rebecca Rittenhouse, don't know her. Oh, she's a, Odette on The Handmaid's Tale. So once again, these seem to be TV actors, but they all do the job perfectly fine. They're all. Solid in the role. Um, uh, Matthias is played by Colin Waddell, who I didn't recognize. Apparently, he was just an unsane as well. And he was in The Purge. So this guy is... Um, oh, he's in The Purge TV series. So he's continuing to work with uh, Blumhouse. That's neat. That's something to check that out. Um, Masters of Sex, Devious Maids, Criminal Minds as well. Um, so he seems to be more of a independent and TV actor. Uh... Chelsea Alden plays a uh, who does she play? Oh, she plays a minor character in that. She's on the tail over on HBO and has appeared in American Horror Story and Veep and Thirteen. She's Mackenzie in Thirteen Reasons Why. Why? Why? Oh, why does that exist? Um, uh, bu- 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 DJ Lex, uh, played by Severa Winda- Windiani. Wait a second. Wait a second, hold on. Ink and Rain. Okay, that's a USA. That's a US production. I'm curious. They met Quentin Tarantino's Suicide Squad video short. Huh. Did Quentin Tarantino direct a thing about the Suicide Squad? Oh no, this is something else. This is his version of the Suicide Squad with uh, Django, The Bride. This is his. This is like his version of. It's a parody. Okay, it's a parody. Quentin Tarantino Suicide Squad. So she was in that. Um, I'm curious though. Savira Windiani. So let's take a look at her. Savira Windiani biography. Well, nothing is known about her. I'm curious. I'm just curious because they mention. Aha! Nice. Sorry. Um, they mentioned in the movie that Windyani's character DJ Lex is an Indonesian is an Indonesian character, so they tied it into her own backstory of being an Indonesian actress and stunt stunt uh, and stunt woman. 
That's neat. I like I like small touches like that where we say, look, we're not, you know, this isn't just any Asian actress playing an Indonesian woman. This is a actually Indonesian woman playing an Indonesian woman. It's just little touches like that that say, hey, we are paying attention that I like. Um, Andrew Lees is co- sort of the tech guy. He's a British actor. He's a British character, but apparently he's from Australia. He's from Melbourne. Uh, the originals, The Pacific, Home and Away, Your Family or Mine. Uh, he was uh, additional voices in Mass Effect Andromeda, the originals. So I'm not familiar with him, but this, he did, I think he did all right. Or maybe he's an Australian character, but he's based out of London. He seemed to be uh, a London. He seemed. He seemed to. The idea seemed to be that he is a British British actor or a British character. And then the last uh, main character was Connor Del Rio, who was in the Cartoon Network series Level Up and has been playing... He played some roles on Key and Peele, Chicago PD, Detroit 187. This isn't working. The Arabian Warrior? What? I have to look into that. Hold on. Uh, level Up, blah, blah, blah. So he's, these are all like mainly TV and independent film actors. So that's So they're not ultimately big names that you have to pay. Which is a good idea. The Arabian Warrior is a short film. No, that's a shoot is the original title. After studying at university and and excelling at soccer, a young Saudi is torn between traditions of his father and the freedom he experiences in the U.S. Ooh. Well, then. That might be something to look out for. I like this. That seems like an interesting story. Um, Who directed this? Amen Koja. I'm in Koja? A-Y-M-E-N Koja. K-H-O-J-A. Wahid, Sargo. So he seems to be a... Um, uh, middle, he's at least Middle Eastern sort of producer, director, uh, writer sort of thing. His last, he's, This is his first uh, feature film. He did a couple of... Sh- the sh- uh, Wahid is one of his shorts. Uh, Wahid being a dissolution, dissolution by a violent society. A young man attempts to forge a new relationship... With life by surviving on his own. Ooh, interesting. Where is this based out of? Arabic, filmed in the U.S. Interesting. Very interesting. I like this. Whoever this uh, Amen is, uh, I'm assuming Amen because uh, Ay, but uh, I'd have to hear hear his name in like an interview or something. So hopefully he gets bigger. Recognition, because I'm interested to see that movie, um, The Arabian Warrior slash Shoot. Uh, the first Saudi American film. Oh, that's even better. Hope I hope I'm uh, able to see it at some point. At any rate, um, yeah. The, the so these actors are. I only recognize Betty Gabriel because she's a uh, she's becoming a Blumhouse regular, and the other one and uh, the other ones seem to be just like minor up and coming or TV actors. And this is their first real uh, feature film, which horror is a great starting point for a lot of young actors. And yeah, so so I think the only reason this doesn't work for me is the computer stuff is kind of laughably bad. Uh, the way they handle it, um, there's a lot. They they try to make the dark web thing uh, uh, analogous to uh, the the river sticks and going into uh, Tartarus. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the whole but the actors do a great job uh, performing. They're all fantastic, and it's just I, it's just kind of predictable. It follows a lot of the horror movie tropes. 
So if you are familiar with them, you're not going to be all that surprised. That being said, I will recommend this more than the first movie. It's way more interesting. It's got, it goes in a way better direction. And I'm curious to see how they'll follow it up. Because it's definitely going to be a pro- it's, guess, it's definitely going to be profitable. So the question is now, what do they do next with it? What do they do more now? Now what do they do with the unfriended franchise over at Blumhouse? Your move, Jason Blum. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. I'm Diana. And I'm John. And together, we host the book review and discussion podcast, Living in the Stacks. Every two weeks, we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if we'd read the book again. Whatever the genre, whoever the author, whether it's good or bad, we'll read anything once. So if you want to join us, you can find us, Living in the Stacks, available through Gumby Cat Networks. I got promoted. I'm a power caller. What do they sell? They're not selling the police selling. No, there's no amount of money that'll make me do that. Here's the starting salary. Well, man, I'm gonna have to get me some new suits. Whatever I wear, no, I'm here to be clear. It is morally emaciated. I can't ride with you. I'm doing something I'm really good at. Cash. I'm gonna make you a proposal. I can see that you want to say no. But I wouldn't do that before you see what I'm offering. Cash, you are awesome. Oh, yeah. All right. Some for the homies and some for me. Hell, yeah. That's right. Did not expect to see this this weekend, although I was very, very much anticipating it. But it turns out the only theaters playing Unfriended 2 also were playing this. Sorry to bother you. The direct, the, the, the feature film debut of, I believe, uh, musician Boots Riley. Um, let me look at, let me double check. Boots Riley, stage, uh, American rapper, producer, screenwriter, film director, lead vocalist of The Coup and Sweet Sweeper Social Club. And this is his, I think, I believe this is his feature film debut. Uh, discography, yeah, this is his first ever film, written and directed. And the premise here is Lakeith Stanfield, who you may recognize from, ooh, what's a, what's a couple of good ones? Uh, Snoop Dogg and Straight Outta Compton, uh, Jimmy Lee Jackson and Selma. He was a character in Snowden. He was in The Purge Anarchy, dope. Uh, he was, I believe, the, the one who actually screamed the line, get out! Get out! Yeah, Andre Hayworth, Logan King in Get Out, and was also was also uh, N, I believe. Uh, N is that the character's name? L, L, the antag- the one facing off against uh, Kira in Death in the Netflix's Death Note. Uh, he was also uh, Darius Epps on Atlanta. So this ca- this guy's been getting around. He's been he's been he's been on the rise, so to speak. And I'm glad to see it because he's fantastic. I love him. And uh, here he plays a struggling, um, struggling entry level worker who's ju- who wants to get out of poverty, and he ends up doing it by um, becoming a telemarketer and get, becoming really good at it be- by doing his 
white voice. Because, the, I mean, that's the whole thing. This is a commentary on race, folks, so be, be aware of that. So Danny Glover is another telemarketer. It's an older telemarketer there who tells him, you got to put on a, your white voice. Everybody, every black person has a white voice. And, and um, Steve Buscemi is Danny Glover's white voice. David Cross is Lakeith Stanfield's white voice. And you do get uh, a weird character whose name is actually censored in the movie. He's just Mr. Blank, um, whose white voice is Patton Oswalt. And then Lily James in another movie I saw this weekend. Lily James is Tessa Thompson's white voice. Tessa Thompson being Cash's girlfriend in Detroit, who is a performance artist and an artist and you know and and sort of a wants to work as an artist. And so she does performance art and she wants to run a gallery and she wants to do gallery shows. And so she even she has a white voice. And the and the main and the main plots going on here are there's a a big what would be the the best uh what's the company that makes the iPhones in China? What's that company's name? That's like a generic um name to it, but it was big in the news uh for the for the suicides going on and the working conditions. Um Foxconn. And I believe the conditions are still terrible there, but we're in this in this reality, America has allowed for corporate um capitalism to have such a stranglehold that what's going on at Foxconn is happening in America and is considered a viable solution for people. And of course, um, worry free is the name of the company and it's run by, uh, a, 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 a sort of Elon Musk sort of, um, some sort of, you know, sort of CEO style, uh, billionaire played by army hammer. In one of his best performances ever. I honestly haven't seen a better performance out of Army Hammer than I can remember. And and so Lakeith becomes really good at um, doing his white voice. And becomes uh, very, very, very profitable. And so the question remains... While his workers, because while he's working as, an, as, a, as a young telemarketer before he gets the promotion... He is, um, he is, uh, he, you know, he is sort of brought in by The Walking Dead's Stephen Yun into trying to form a union, a telemarketers union to get so that everybody benefits. And so it's a common, it, this is a beautifully crafted, twisted parody of corporate capitalism uh, race, uh, ra- you know, racial solidarity, and just g- overall cor- corporate greed, and the willingness to, um, the and the wi- and the and the lengths that they're willing to go for profit. It it really is a, it's a, it's apparently Boots Riley did work as a telemarketer uh, early on, so and he had to put on his white voice. So this is a personal story for Boots Riley, and it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful thing. For a first-time writer-director, this is masterful. This really... I cannot recommend this movie enough. This is going to be in my top seven by the end of the year. 
And it's going to be interesting to see where it falls. But for right now, this is honestly not only one of the best of the year, this is quite possibly one of the best of the decade or even the millennium, depending on, depending on your, what you see as best. But this is almost, artist, this is almost artistic in its, in, its, in its craft work. It really is just, this is, this is a, one of the best style of movies that I could absolutely see Kyle Colgren cover on Brows Held High. This is a perfect movie for him to cover, but it's it, 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 it's so well made that I can't imagine anybody not liking it. Like, I could say, see you not being into it. I could see you not, this not, you not wanting to rewatch it for various reasons. I could see why this isn't going to be your favorite movie. But I cannot imagine anybody actively hating this movie. Unless they have some sort of bias against it. This really is a testament to filmmaking. And so, uh, not only do we have the goddess herself, Tessa Thompson. I mean, just, I, I adore Tessa Thompson. She is, she is quickly become one of my favorite actresses working. She is glorious. And she is amazing as this performance artist in the movie. And she, there's a bit, I don't want to give too much away. Because a lot of it, it gets super crazy as the movie goes along. If this isn't just, uh, if this was just a straight up commentary on uh, black solidarity and um, ca- corporate capitalism and the and that sort of commentary on society and where we are in society, that'd be one thing. This movie decides to go even crazier. And even the craziness actually makes sense when you think about it. I don't want to give too much away, but... There's a subplot in the movie that begins to develop that go, doesn't go that you don't see coming. But when they break it down, when you think about it, it's even deeper and more thought-provoking than, than the regular stuff. So yeah, um, we've got Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, uh, Jermaine Fowler, the comedian best known for Superior Donuts on CBS. As well as being on Bojack Horseman, Eric Andre show. Uh, he's been on Robot Chicken, Give Him Hell. Um, he is Lakeith Stanfield's best friend and fellow telemarketer. Uh, he's he's great in the movie. Stephen Young's great. Danny Glover is awesome. Uh, the the white voices are awesome. You you know the Lily Tom, Lily Lily Tomlin, Lily James, David Cross, Patton Oswalt, Steve Buscemi. They're all great. You even get to hear um, guest appearances by for, the likes of Forrest Whitaker and Rosario Dawson. And then uh, you even see uh, uh, Terry Crews for a bit as Cash's uncle and landlord, so to, be, so to speak. And Terry Crews is, once again, another phenomenal actor. He's great in this movie. Um, Kate Berlant uh, who is a stand-up comic. Uh, I'm not familiar with her. She has a, she has a minor role in the movie. Um, i trying to think. Uh, I didn't recognize the other guys. Robert Longstreet, Michael X. Somers. Uh, I didn't recognize either of them. And then... Um, and then there's like a there's like an actual sort of street perform street street artist uh uh you know sort of performance artist I believe uh who appears in the movie a couple of times um let me see uh she's not in the top uh build actors let me see Indigo Jackson 
She is a stage film actor, dancer, spoken word performer, voiceover artist, theater creator in San Francisco. This is her first feature film. So she's mainly a stage performer. And even her IMDb features like very artistic sorts of things. Picture. Picture. What's her name? Um, Adele Dazim, Adina Menzel's character from Rent. Uh, crap. What's her name? Um Maureen. Picture Maureen from Rent, but less pretentious. That's kind of Indigo Jackson. And she's part of uh, a radical leftist movement called The Left Eye. And she also has a bit later on in the movie where it's just her voice uh, narrating. And it's it's such a bizarre sequence. And I don't want to give it away. Um... Those are the big ones. Ooh, W. W. Camille Bell is a is a cameo as an extra. Um, don't recognize anybody else though. Uh, Akila Walt Akila A. Walker uh, is one of the street artists. But yeah, it's it really is. Um, oh, Dwayne Jordan. I almost thought Dwayne Johnson is he in this? Uh, Brandon E. Lee. Uh, don't recognize. I don't recognize. Yeah. Um, uh, but who are the other guys? There's the two managers at the at the at the mar- at the telemarketing firm, Robert Longstreet, who kind of looks like um, who kind of looks like uh, Russell Crowe's uh, younger brother, so to speak. Like if somebody couldn't get Russell Crowe, they'd get him. Uh, apparently, he was in I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, and the old oh, he's going to be in The Old Man and the Gun and The Haunting of Hill House. So he's on Netflix. He's sort of. Uh, more of an indie guy. I don't recognize him from a lot. He's he's more of a character actor. Uh, and then Michael X. Somers. Um, I don't recognize him. Together until the end. Sense Eight. So he's on. He's bug on Sense Eight. Skeevy white guy in on Hulu's Chance. Uh, Bandits. George McFly. Back to the Future. The game. Ooh, interesting. So yeah, these are two. Um, yeah, these are two guys uh, that I that are kind of uh, um, great character actors, but they're not really big names either. Once like with uh, um, Blumhouse and Unfriended, they got great actors that didn't necessarily have names to them. Like I don't think Lakeith Stanfield. Maybe after this movie, he'll be a household name. I don't. He's not, I don't think he's particularly, like, if you brought up Lakeith Stanfield to your parents, unless they know, unless they've seen him in something they like, they probably don't, rec- they probably don't remember him. Tessa Thompson, Terry Crews, Danny Glover, Army Hammer, those are the names that people would recognize. Maybe Stephen Young, he's getting, ba- he's getting bigger. Um, but yeah, Omari Hardwick also, uh, even though he's just, you don't hear, you only hear his, vo- his actual voice once. He's mainly being spoken by um, Patton Oswalt in the movie. He is Sergeant Marcus Williams in Kick-Ass. I think he's, that's a police officer. He's also on uh, Stars' Power and was featured in For Colored Girls as well. Um, so yeah, uh, he's, so he's coming up there. Uh, DS4 Detroit he's going to be in soon. Uh and then Nobody's Fool, which is in post-production. Ooh. Ooh, I just saw the trailer for that. I just saw the trailer for that. Oh, oh. Did not see that coming. So, yeah, I saw the trailer for a comedy starring Tiffany Haddish. And um, I didn't recognize the other uh, woman. Whoopi Goldberg's in it. Tika Sumpter. 
and Amber Riley. Uh, these three black black women. Tiffany Haddish get, is the sister who just gets out of jail. And it turns out um, her sister, Tika Sumter, it had, was catfished. And so Tika Sumter, uh, Angela Payton from Ride Along, is... Um, and, oh, Mich- and Michelle Obama in Southside with You. Uh, well, Michelle Robinson. Uh, but, yeah, Michelle Obama... And she's going to be in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. How the hell did that happen? Um, yeah, Tika Sumter uh, is playing this woman who gets catfished. And so Tiffany Haddish, who is her sister who just got out of prison, is going to go, is going to help lead the charge to um, find the catfish person and bring him down. This just premiered in front of my. I am shocked that I'm excited for a Tyler Perry movie. I'm really curious if this works because it was genuinely funny. Whoopi Goldberg is hilarious in it. Tiffany Haddish, I love. Omari Hardwick is going to be in this. But it hasn't listed his his character yet. So we'll see. But now now I'm curious. Missy Pyle is also a prominent uh, actress in it. Uh, But yeah, I don't... And then Tiffany Haddish and Whoopi Goldberg are probably the other big names attached to it. So I'm very curious how this will turn out. Your move, Mr. Perry. Okay, yeah, back to the, back to the really good movie. We'll 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 deal with nobody's fool in November. We'll see how that we'll see how good that is. But yeah, sorry to bother you. I can't I don't want to give anything away. I will not give anything away. No spoiler talk in this podcast. I want you to go in with just everything I've given you. If, if, even if what I've said hasn't enticed you, I implore you. See this movie. If you aren't changed by it, that's fine. This really did affect me. I genuinely adore this movie. And I cannot recommend it enough. You need to see this movie. Even if you don't like it, you should, you ought to see this movie. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. So much for having a discussion this week. <laughs> Turns out, um... We're doing a full-on super mega awesome movie review madness because I spent 90 minutes just reviewing the movies I thought saw in theaters. And now we're finally getting to the Netflix and chat. So yeah, we're not going to have room for an actual discussion. And I want to save the sequel discussion for another sequel-packed weekend. Uh, So yeah, this will be another super mega awesome movie review madness by the time you see this. You'll have already figured that part out. I'm just now figuring out, uh, figuring it out during the uh, recording process. So, what the last stuff we'll talk about this weekend are um, the things I saw at home, which are roadside profits, and then the two things I did for my Patreon tie-ins, which I should probably come up with another bumper for. Um, I'll, I'll figure out something for it, but basically, but yeah, but this week uh, for Patreon, I did a make a better movie of the 2004 Punisher and a munch along of the 2016 Friend Request to tie into the Equalizer and Unfriended. 
I was debating whether or not to do uh, one for friend request or one for uh, Across the Universe to tie into um, uh, Mamma Mia. I just ended up with friend request because it was right there on Netflix. But we'll get into that. So for Netflix and chat, um, I covered Roadside Profits. Uh, I, I, I watched it so that I could get back into junk food cinema. And that was where I left off. I got it on my... Literally. This is a literal Netflix and chat because... Aside from one being watched through Showtime, which is The Punisher, both of the movies I watched this week were through Netflix for Netflix and chat. This one was on DVD because for three years, no, yeah, three years, for three years, I would been sitting on this Roadside Profits DVD from Netflix DVD service, which I still subscribe to, and I'm finally now getting it back up and rolling so that I can keep up with both now playing and junk food and catch up on junk food cinema. I'll probably have to use it for Magic Lantern when I finally get into that. Sorry, Cole. Uh, I'm friends with uh, the host of the Magic Lantern, which I also recommend. They're a uh, much more highbrow, uh, well-regarded movie podcast. Uh, hey, Cole. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm still need to check out your show. I'm going to do it once I'm caught up on stuff. I'm finally up to November for podcasts. So once I can get up through twenty eight, most of 2018, I'll start packing other things in. But yeah, I watched Roadside Profits uh, to get back into Junk Food Cinema, which if you haven't watched Junk Food... It watched. It's, a, it's an audio podcast. If you haven't checked out Junk Food Cinema, it's Brian Salisbury, formerly of both Spill and OneOfUs.net. He's an Austin-based film critic and... Um, uh, blogger. He's great. I love Brian. And see Robert Cargill who is much more prominent uh, now as the writer of both Sinister movies and Doctor Strange. Yep. He, he I believe, if not singularly wrote, but co-wrote, maybe. Let me double check. Uh, let me double check Doctor Strange who wrote it. Um... But yeah, he is, since Scott Derrickson went to direct Doctor Strange, uh, okay, he did co-write it. Uh, he co-wrote it with John Spates, Spites, Spates, who was one of the writers on Prometheus and, ooh, Passengers. This guy, this guy right here, he's not connected to anything good. Sorry, dude. Um, but Scott Derrickson wrote it and uh, co-wrote it, and C. Robert Cargill is one of his co-writers since they both worked on Sinister together. And so, yeah, and he's also a novelist with, um, uh, oh crap, why am I forgetting his novels now? I love his novels. I, I, I mean, I love the idea of his novels. I still need to read his novels. Um, but he used to be on Spill as well as, um, as, as Carlisle. Uh, Dreams and Shadows, uh, Sea of Rust was his thing about robots, and then Queen of the Dark Things. So... So yeah, he is. Uh, he's a novelist. He's a screenwriter. He's a former critic. He he is. Um, he's he's a phenomenal guy too. See Robert Cargill is who I want to be when I grow up. I'm just saying that. So Cargill picked Roadside Profits to review for the podcast for their podcast, Junk Food Cinema, and I gotta say, this work. I get why Cargill likes it. This is a counterculture movie for Gen X. This is Gen X's attempt at Easy Rider, which I can't say for sure if Easy Rider's any good. I still need to see that one. But this is very much in that line of Easy Rider sort of counterculture 
movie, and it was just before the indie boom, so it never got the recognition as the same as the likes of Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, even though it's just as good of a quality as their older, their first movies. So uh, Abby Wall, who was an electrician by trade, directed this is her only directed movie, and I feel like there she could have done even more if this movie took off, but nobody gave her any attention. And that's a damn shame, too, because once, you know, learning her story, I'm like, oh, man, that's not fair. I mean, I didn't particularly like the movie because it's not my generation. It's not something that speaks to me, sort of, you know. But I, it doesn't mean that she didn't deserve a, a second, a sophomore effort. Nobody should be stuck with a single movie to their name unless it's by choice. She should obviously have given, been given a shot at a second movie. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's, I, 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 I gotta say, if you're into counterculture stuff, this is great for you. Uh, the premise here is uh, a sort of uh, listless uh, guy. He work, I'm not sure what his job is, but he has a job that he doesn't much care for. But And he meets a guy in California who talks up about what he wants to do when he dies and ends up dying in front of uh, the guy played by musician John Doe. Actual name, swear to God, actual name, John Doe. Um, and John Doe's character is kind of begrudgingly uh, taking, fulfilling this guy's last wishes because he finds out the guy used to be, it was the son of some well-to-do family who literally take the vacuum cleaner uh, where his ashes are, where, he, where his ashes are from his cremation and throws it in the trash. So, <laughs> So yeah, what's the guy supposed to do? Leave the guy in the trash? No, that's that. You know, it's such a crappy thing to do. So John Doe's character begrudgingly accepts to fulfill this guy's wishes and have his ashes spread on um, El Dorado in this, this plate, this well, this really fancy casino that he want that he that he uh, that he loves so much. And so along the way, he runs into Adam Horowitz from the Beastie Boys. Yes. This is a real movie that exists. It's back at Netflix again, so you can uh, so you can totally pick it up. You can find it wherever wherever. But yes, that is uh, that is actually a Ad Rock. Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys is in this movie as this snotty little kid who who gets a fascination with uh, John Doe's character and wants to follow him on his quest. And he sort he both characters are sort of listless and they have no idea what they want to do with their lives. Along the way, John Doe is in contact with some girl who uh, works with who 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 helps him to keep his job, but she is obsessed with him. Apparently, it's played by Lynn Shay, I I believe. Um, the voice is Lynn Shay, who you may know from. Ouija, Ouija or of evil, and of course, it, the Insidious franchise. She is best known for the Insidious franchise. So, horror icon Lynn Shay is the voice of this stalker chick that uh, that John Doe has to deal with this whole journey, and he also runs into a an exotic dancer that he sort of uh, has a, has a thing for. And he also runs into uh, famous, you know, you know, cameos by John Cusack, Timothy Leary, 
No, wait. Lin Shay isn't the voice. I think Lin Shay is uh is somebody's wife. Hold on a second. Let me pull up the IMDb. Double check. Abby Ward, da, da, da. Lin Shay. Who is um? Uh, Angie Abbott, bartender, Dave Coleman. So who is the, uh, Celeste? Yeah, she's, Lin Shay is in the movie, but she's somebody's, uh, she's somebody's wife in the movie. Uh, Bill Cobbs' wife. So who is, who's the guy that she keeps talking, that he keeps talking to on the phone? Oh, oh, that name. Uh, the, yeah, the, um, the exotic dancer that he runs into, her name is Ms. Labia Mirage. That is a name. That is a name for sure. Um... So who, Angie Abbott? I think so, yeah, somebody, um, yes, it doesn't, I can't, I couldn't tell you who the, uh, or maybe Daisy. No, it's Daisy. So yeah, some, some actress who, who poor thing doesn't even have a, a photo up on her IMDb. But yeah, John Cusack plays this, uh, Symbionese rebel who, uh, is a Dine and Dasher. You've got, um, Arlo Guthrie. Folk singer and son of uh, famous, um, you know, folk singer, f- famous, most famous for uh, uh, Alice's Restaurant and son of iconic folk singer Woody Guthrie, Arlo Guthrie, in uh, a, a, a cameo appearance. Timothy Leary, David Carradine is in this. Stephen Tobol, character actor Stephen Tobolowski is this very passionate ranger who chastises them for polluting. Dick Rude and Flea. Are part of a band that they that only appears for a scene. Uh, who's the sheriff? Uh, uh, I didn't recognize. Um, and not it's not on the Wikipedia. So on the let's check the uh, IMDb. IMDb cast is in appearance order. So Barton Heyman. Barton Heyman, best known for Doctor Klein and The Exorcist. The Priest in Basketball Diaries, Duncan and Let's Scare Jessica to Death, and Mac in Raising Cain. So, character actor Barton Heyman is this gun-toting, tough guy sheriff who chastise, who think, who confuses um, Adam Horowitz for the Dine and Dasher. Uh, Don Cheadle is the manager of the Happy Days 50s-style diner. So, Don Cheadle in his first film appearance is the is in this movie. John Snyder, uh, Bill Cobbs, I mentioned, Lynn Shay. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you've got, uh, you've got a who's who of counterculture and up and coming, and, and up and coming, and even some, uh, minor, uh, and, you know, like, even some soon to be even more famous, because this was 1992. This was just before John Cusack really took off in the 90s. So, You've got all kinds of counterculture legends 
as well as um, you know famous character actors and young up and comers who would get even bigger, like John Cusack and and uh, and Don Cheadle. It's 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 a bizarre movie. So I commend it for that. Once again, it just wasn't for me. It just didn't speak to me because I was never part of a counterculture. I this was more in line with the kind of Gen X mentality at the time. It I don't think it ages all that well considerably. I don't I can't I couldn't imagine anybody my age or younger than me really getting into it unless they were also part of that counterculture mentality in that movement. I think this might be I'm sure there are f- plenty of kids who would get into this movie if you showed it to them, but you can kind of see why it's remained sort of a cult classic. It's definitely not mainstream. This is something you get into if you're part of that sort of easy rider, um, repo man sort of film. You know, that's the kind of um, audience for this movie. And so if that speaks to you, uh, then go for it. I highly recommend it for that mental for that sort of audience. I just know that it particularly didn't work for me. So I'll work on a bumper for Patreon stuff next week. Uh, as for this week, the two Patreon stuff I covered are, uh, as I mentioned, The Punisher from 2004 and Friend Request from 2016. Uh, technically 2014, because that's when it came out in Germany, where it was made. Um, but, yeah, you can revisit more of my thoughts on... Uh, on on friend request on 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 friend request uh when did that come out uh hold on popcorn junkie friend request episode 80 uh is when i covered friend request i may have covered on uh nope doesn't look like it just kingsman the golden circle lego ninjago and friend request so episode 80 is where you want to go if you want to see hear my thoughts on um, friend request, but yeah, uh, it's it it's not good. It's really not good. However, if you want to hear me mercilessly mock the movie and do my ASMR, for reference, here is a taste of my AM- ASMR. If you want more of this, be sure to support me on Patreon. So that you can get the full experience on friend request much along. Uh, however, um, for to break down uh, the 2004 Punisher, it's fine. It's not the best thing ever. It's not a particularly good adaptation of the. It's probably the least accurate adaptation of the Punisher. The best probably being the Netflix version of the character. But I think there was plenty to work with, and so I had my and so I had a good job ahead of me in making the movie better. And I think I did a good job. Um, yeah, it's a bad Punisher. Thomas Jane is still the best part about it. I did like John Panette in it. You get to see a young Ben Foster uh, in it as well. Uh, for those who don't know, Ben Foster is a bleep British actor. Uh, he was he's the brother in Heller High Water. He's also um, Charlie Prince in 310 to Yuma. I think he's the bad guy. Uh, he was the uh, he was uh, working alongside Woody Harrelson in The Messenger, and he was Jake Mazursky in Alpha Dog. So, uh, oh no, he's a Boston boy. He's a Massachusetts boy. So yeah, um, Mediv, Mediv, 
M-E-D-I-V-H in Warcraft The Beginning. Oh, so it's not even the full Warcraft movie. It's some spinoff. Um, Finest Hours, The Program, Lone Survivor. So he's been um, Contraband, Rampart. Uh, he, he play, he's known for playing a lot of soldiers. I don't know if he's... Because, maybe he is a soldier? Doesn't say that he served in the military. Doesn't say he's a veteran. But he's, 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 played, he's become into prominence for playing a lot of vets. And, um, and you know, like uh, anti-heroes and some, and some villains. Apparently he's in something called Galveston this year. Which, uh, which doesn't ring a bell. Ooh! From the creator of True Detective, Ben Foster and Elle Fanning in Galveston. After escaping a setup, a dying hitman returns to his hometown of Galveston where he plans his revenge! Ooh, 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 ooh. Based on the novel by Nick P- Pitalato. Ooh, yes, yes. Very much so, yes. Uh, ooh, yes. I'm, I'm, do- I'm down. I am down for this. October in France. Ooh, come on. When do we get to see it? Damn it. So, yeah, I'm down for that. Um, yeah, Ben Foster. But, yeah, Ben Foster is in the 2004 Punisher movie as this... Uh, as the the roommate for John Panette and Rebe- Rebecca Romaine. Um just in that movie Rock and Roll. Oh, he's in Hostiles too, that's right. He was the um and he was Bertrand Z- Zobrist in Inferno. The um the Ro- uh Robert Ludlum, L- 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 I believe. Uh uh Yeah, I think that's uh Tom, uh, Tom Hanks' character's name, Robert Ludlum. Yeah, Robert Langdon. Uh, Robert Ludlum, I think, is a as an author. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, he was the one of the bad guys in Inferno, I believe. So he's kind of got, become known for playing either antiheroes or villains. Uh, he's a great actor. I love Ben Foster. So uh, seeing him early on as a sort of punk rock kind of guy, uh, filled with uh, he has um, oh he was Angel in the Last Stand, X Men: The Last Stand as well. Uh, but he was. Um, he was a guy with a lot of piercings, and, it, and the main thing—the main thing from the movie—is that he got tortured into it, so tortured in the movie, so he had his piercings ripped from him by uh, the mobsters. Uh, so yeah, good, good cast for the most part. Once again, John Travolta is not made for to be a mobster. He tried it here. I don't know why he tried to be John Gotti after failing so hard as a mobster in The Punisher of all things. But yeah, it's it's if you want a good Punisher adaptation. Watch the Netflix version. If if I I like this movie because it was my introduction to the Punisher. It got a lot of stuff right. It just needed some fixing, is all. So if you want to hear how I did it, fixing it, support me on Patreon. That would be make a better Punisher on Patreon.com/slash/PopcornJunkie. Um, and I I mentioned uh, on both of those that I should break down my tiers as well. So since I haven't since I've been doing a bad job. At, uh, pay, at, at, breaking, at telling people about the Patreon. Here we go. Uh, on patreon.com slash popcornjunkie, you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. It's all monthly donations. You don't have to donate per episode. It's all one lump monthly sum. So whatever you feel comfortable to give. Uh, we have one, two, three, four, five tiers where you can support the podcast. Uh, tier one is home movies. That's where you donate as little as a dollar a month. Uh, you, if you donate a dollar a month at least, you'll be thanked at the end of every episode of the podcast or hopefully down the line videos. So as little as a dollar a month, all you get is, and then you get thanked for being a supporter. 
number five, number two, uh, the second tier, at $5 a month, you become a direct-to-video release, which means you will not only get mentioned at the end of every episode, but you'll get early access to the episodes. So once that starts happening on Patreon, you know, if you support with at least $5 or more per month on Patreon, you, be get, you can start getting early access to all the content. And that'll be like, at, you know, at least one day early, if not more. Because once again, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm at quite the uh, time crunch for some of these things. The third tier is $15 or more a month. At $15 or more, you become a limited runner. Uh, where you not only get uh, thanks at the end of every episode and early access, you also get the choice to begin suggesting reviews, which I'll explain during the goals. So... If you donate at least $15 a month, you can also begin to become one of the people to suggest content for the shows. The, the fourth tier is an indie darling. At, at, uh, at $25 or more a month, you will not only be able to get, get thanked on the episodes, get early access, suggest content, but also I will plug your content. At $25 or more a month, I will share whatever it is you want me to share for people, whether it's another podcast that you do, whether it's a, whether it's a band that you're a part of, whether it's a play that you're in, whether it's, um, uh, whether it's that you're a photographer or a, a visual artist. If you want me to plug something of yours, donate $25 or more a month, and I will be glad to do it on, my epi- on every episode. And our final tier, and our highest tier, at $50 or more a month, you'll, you'll become a blockbuster. Which means, not only do you get thanked in the episodes, early access, suggest content, and I will plug anything that you want, you become a guest reviewer. I will actually requ- have the interview with you on the podcast, or down the line, do video reviews. So you and I will make video content if you if for whatever it is you want me to review. That means you're also part of it too. So keep that in mind if you want to become if you want to suggest a terrible movie for me to review for and you want to be on it. So keep that in mind. So those are the tiers: one dollar, five dollar, fifteen, twenty-five, and fifty. So whatever you feel comfortable donating per month, it's completely up to you. With that in mind, these are the goals I have set I have set for the podcast. Our first goal is to reach $25 a month. At $25 a month, I will start releasing Make a Better Movie from Patreon to the main feed. And that'll start with my first one, Iron Man 3. We're about, I think, five episodes in to Make a Better Movie. So we're, we'll be about five weeks behind. But, there, but from that point on, from, and once we can re- hit $25 or more a month... Make a better movie pot. The make a better movie episodes will start getting aired on the main feed. It's fifty dollars a month. Uh, I can. That is when I will allow uh, patrons to suggest content for the podcast, for the Munchalongs, and for make a better movie. So, if there's a movie you think I could fix, or if there's a movie you want me want to hear my commentary on, or if there's a movie you want me to review. Once per month, I will allow you to suggest content for me. I should break that. I'm going to have to edit that in the actual Patreon to uh, clarify that. At $100 a month, if we can reach that goal, um, I'll have to fix that because that just says 
suggest movies for me to review on the podcast, but that's going to be part of the $50 reward. Um, at $200 a month, uh, I will start making, uh, I'll, I'll start allowing video reviews requests. So patrons will be able to suggest video content that will be exclusive to Patreon until I can get it up on a, on a, on a viable YouTube channel. And then finally, $500 a month. If we can reach that, if I can reach $500 a month, I will bring back the, the three series that I had planned under my time as the Solitary Nerd. Epic Fail, where I talk about box office bombs. Sequelitis, where I talk about movies that are either sequels, prequels, midquels, or remakes. And Badaptation, which, which are movies that are either bad ad, badly, ad, badly adapted from their source material or um, were just bad movies that were adapted from a source material, good or bad. Whether this, maybe it was a bad book that got turned into a movie, or a movie that got turned into, or a book that got turned into a movie that ended up bad in translation. Things like I covered Aragon on the series and Dreamcatcher. So if you want to, if you want that kind of, so if you're down for that, uh, that that is the highest goal at this point. That's five hundred dollars a month. So that that's that's kind of what I have in mind. I'm going to tweak the goals a bit so that they they're more accurate to what I'm looking for. But once again, if you want to, um, if you if you want to support the podcast and you have some income, whether it even once again, even if it's just a dollar a month, any little bit helps, and and doing so gets you all kinds of rewards from being thanked on every podcast to being uh, to getting early access to suggesting content for the podcast. Any little bit helps. And I'll be glad to reward you for your support. So next week we've got Mission Impossible and um, and uh, Teen Titans Go. So for the uh, so for the Patreon content next week it's going to be Man of, Make a Better Man of Steel and Munch Along for Teen Titans Trouble in Tokyo. Well, they should probably do something for Mission Impossible instead. So. I'll look into probably the Munch Along will tie into Mission Impossible. The the Make a Better Movie will be Man of Steel, though. So if you want access to that, be sure to donate at patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. With that in mind, uh, it's time to take a look at our box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. This weekend saw a bit of a shakeup in the uh, box office. Uh, even in the top ten, we saw a huge shakeup and stuff. So, right off the bat, our, la- our number seven last week, I want to catch up with them uh, in the lower before we get into the top seven. Uh, Sorry to Bother You dropped from seven to ten based on the new releases. And it still brought in uh, $2.8 million this weekend bringing its total up to 10 million and it was only it only cost 3 million to make so it's still profitable so it's that that part's good um this is why you want to keep your budget as low as possible <laughs> uh, but yeah i still recommend if you, if it's it, it's been added to a, you know more theaters so please continue to go out and support this movie so that more people will see it and it will expand to more theaters so it has a better chance, even if it's just in like your local art house theater or something. 
Find where it's playing near you locally. If it's not too far, make the timeout. You're not. I if, even if you don't like it, I don't think you'll be disappointed that you saw it. Uh, uh, Unfriended premiered at number nine uh, with three million dollars, and once again, it's already profitable. Even with three million dollars, it's already profitable. So we'll see how it how it fares with the, the with the coming weeks. But once again. Low budget means it's already profitable. So even if it drops down into the top 20 or even the top 50, it'll still be profitable. All right. So uh, our first, our uh, our entry at number seven this week was last week's number three. Dropped by half. Skyscraper went down from $10.9 million to... Uh, well, drop down to $10.9 million domestically, with a which brings its total gross after what? How many weeks? After one week! After, no, that's no, that's one friend. That's unfriended. After, yeah, but no. After one week. This is its second week on, on, on the, in, the box, in the box office, and it dropped to number seven. So it brings its domestic total up to $46 million and its global total up to $131 million. It took two weeks for Skyscraper to even make back its budget. This is not a profitable movie. This, is, this could very well go down as a bomb, it just, just mathematically. Not a bad bomb, not like where it couldn't even make back its budget, but one that shows that Dwayne Johnson alone can't, can't always sell an action movie. It needs something more to it. So I'm not sad about that at all. Last week's number five dropped down to number six. It's Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, $11 million this weekend, which brings its domestic gross up to almost $384 million, 383.9, and its global total up to $1,196,000,000. So almost $1.2 billion. Yeah, Jurassic Park is doing fine. How's it doing in second only to Jurassic World 1? So yeah, people are still clamoring for them dinosaurs, even if the movie's not that great. Uh, number five, if this week is last week's number four, Incredibles 2 brought in $11.5 million, bringing its domestic total up to 557 and its global total almost a billion. $940 million. If it can manage to scrape out $60 million more million globally... It will be a billion-dollar animated movie. That's bananas. So, yeah, Incredibles 2 is doing great. Last week's number two is this week's number four, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Bringing in $16 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to $164 million, and its global total up to $353 million. So, yeah, that's plenty to bring to... I think that breaks it even. It's still, sadly, not even doing better than the first Ant-Man. By this, um, by the end of its run, ooh, although, by the end of its run, the first Ant-Man grossed $180 million. So, uh, I mean, it's not going to beat inflation, because that, adjusted for inflation, Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man made $200 million, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah, that kind of stinks. I, I, I don't know what that. I don't know if it's people weren't interested in, in a in a 
palate cleanser when they did when they still have unanswered questions about Infinity War. Maybe it maybe it is Marvel fatigue. Maybe it's like okay, we saw the fir- we saw those last two Marvel movies. We're good on this one. We can wait. I don't know. I don't know what the answer. I don't know what the what the answer is. But hey, I mean, it's profitable enough. It's just. Maybe it's just Ant-Man isn't that viable of a character on his own. Maybe maybe he does better as part of an ensemble. It's hard to say. I liked it. I thought I had a great time with it. But people aren't going... There's not a returning... Um, there's not those returns that you, that, need, that you need for... That's the reason um, Avatar... I, uh, who was I talking about? Oh, oh, well, I was listening to Now Playing talking about it um, in their review for Justice League, since I'm only in November on my podcasts. But Ava- the, the reason Avatar became popular, became the highest grossing movie of all time unadjusted for inflation was because people went back to see it. Hell, the reason Gone with the Wind is still the highest grossing movie of all time adjusted for inflation is because people continued to go back. I mean, theaters have changed, obviously, since then. But, uh, you know, theatrical practices. Avatar is a better uh, example. But return investment. That's what you need. You need people seeing it more than once. That's how you're profitable in the long run. But, you know, not everybody can be that. Uh, Last week's number one is our... mm, Sorry, I don't know what that is about. Uh, is last week's number one is this week's number three? Hotel Transylvania 3. $23.1 million this weekend. Dropped precipitously, almost by half from last week. Uh, bring its domestic total up to $91 million and its global total up to $200 million. It, at, $80 million at an $80 million budget, it's, it's, it's already broken even after two weeks. Uh, I think it's... Number three in the yeah number three still number three in the series, um, so it's, so there's definitely a there, there you know there's there's a diminishing returns for this franchise. I think we're good at this one. I think we don't need any more in this franchise. You can let Gendy, Gendy, Gen, I hear I've heard both. Um, you can let Mister Tartakovsky start making other stuff now. And so that leaves us with our two premieres this weekend. So at number two is Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, bringing in $34.3 million domestically. And globally, I mentioned this in the review, $76 million. It's already got back its budget opening weekend. It's already uh, premiered higher than the first movie, I believe. First first movie uh, opened at uh, $27 million, which, like I mentioned, it's still, even adjusted for inflation, it's still lower than how high Mamma Mia 2 premiered. Now, the question is, will people go back to see it? That's that's where the money's, once again, that's where the money is. Even if it opened higher, maybe people got it all out opening weekend, and this will drop. We'll have to see. Especially since in two weeks' time, well, yeah, this weekend... We've got two releases. Next weekend, we've got like five, six wide releases. Let me count them. We've got, you know, at current, at, uh, currently, we've got, we've got Christopher Robin, The Darkest Minds, Mile 22, and The Spy Who Dumped Me. So four wide releases. 
after that, August 10th, we've got Dog Days, The Meg, Slender Man got bumped up to the 10th, and then Blind Spotting is going to expand wide. So we've got we've got eight new releases coming up in three weeks. And then Happy Time Murder seemed to have been bumped down to uh, where Slender Man was. I'm not sure how that how, how that's going to work. Um, but yeah, it's we've we've got so that means in three weeks' time we've got t- we've got nine, maybe ten new wide releases entering theaters. So it so there's competition coming for Mamma Mia, and we'll have to wait and see if if it can compete. And this week's number one, The Equalizer 2, bringing in $35.8 million and a, and, and domestically and a global total of $39 million. So it, so it only added like three, three, $3.3 3 uh, in the foreign markets. And compared to the, compared to the first Equalizer, um, opening weekend... Opening weekend was it once again opened higher. It had higher opening weekend, but people kept, went, kept going back to the Equalizer. The Equalizer has real competition. The Equalizer two has real competition, even though it was able to make back most of its budget. I think. Let me double check. Budget of no, no, oh no, sixty-two million dollars. If it can't make back its budget, even. This is going to be a complete bomb, and it's got actual competition coming up. This is the, next week is Mission Impossible, so it's already got an action competition, and then at, once again after that, it's got eight other movies to compete with. So it may be, even be bumped out of most theaters. So the Equalizer Two may end up being a bomb. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait. We'll have to let the numbers speak for themselves. But if people don't. If the, if people don't start heading back to the Equalizer two, it's not gonna make you. It's not gonna make back its money, and it's gonna be a an actual bomb. Unlike skyscraper, which is only a long term, you know, only a technical bomb. So yeah, it's it. This is gonna, the next couple of weeks are gonna be interesting. So yeah, that that's the box office breakdown this week. Uh, this this has been your box office report, and next up we've got some trailers to talk about. Coming this summer. It's Trailer Talk. Rated R starts Friday. As I mentioned in the box office report, we do only have two new releases coming out this weekend. But they're pretty big releases. One is a new entry in a very popular franchise. The other is an adaptate a movie ver- a movie uh for a very popular TV show. You know, whether you like it or not, it is popular. So, uh we'll have to see how this shakes up the bo- the box office next week, but for right now, let's take a look at the first trailer, well, not the first trailer, but let's first take a look at the big release next weekend, Mission Impossible Fallout. There cannot be peace without first... Nice choice in adding Charlotte Copley. Not sure I'd have a monologue, though. The greater the peace. I mean, he he delivers it dramatically. I'm just wondering if people will... Is coming. ...will respect it as much with his uh, South African accent. And the blood will be on your hands. 
prayed to God that it wasn't true. Solomon Lane escaped in Paris. That's a nice shot. This is the CIA's mission. You use a scalpel. I prefer a hammer. Oh, the stunt work looks great in this. Honestly. This July. He's not just some observer. He's an assassin. I don't trust anybody outside of this room. You go rogue, he's been authorized to hunt you down and kill you. That's the job. No hard feelings. Which way, Betty? Turn left! Go, 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 go! What are you waiting for? I'm jumping out a window! That's a good Sorry, scene. Submissions. When the clock stops, almost everyone he ever cared about are not a choice. You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. Ethan, that's not who we are. Maybe we need to reconsider that. You've lost this one. What's done is done. What's done is done when we say it's done. Showtime. Oh my god. Tom Cruise. Mission Impossible Fallout. Tell you this much, it already looks better than Justice League. <laughs> so, yo, yeah, I don't know. I don't think Paramount needed to stick it to Warner Brothers over the, over the mustache. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this. I'm hearing good things too. On top of that, I'm hearing you know people are some, some people are saying this could be movie of the year. Which the year that Infinity War came out, that's saying something. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited for that one. And then lastly. The ones that the one that people are most dreading and are most sympathetic for me having to see, Teen Titans go to the movies. Let's let's take a look. Coming this summer. They're finally going to make a movie about me. The story of Batman's greatest ally. That's me. That must be me. And best friend in the whole world. Finally. Alfred the movie. It's time to clean up this city. Does look pretty good. <laughs> Just a young gun with the quick few. They're really making movies about every superhero. Has there been a movie about you? There was a Green Lantern movie, but we don't we don't talk about that. Yeah, I'm not sure about casting Lil Yachty. That feels like a hey, cool kid, cool teens. We know what you like. Why don't they take us seriously? Titans, you guys are never. Nick Cage finally got to play Superman. That's something. That wasn't even a crime, and you didn't save anything. We save room for design. Having a movie is the only way to be seen as a real hero. What about an arch nemesis? Stop right there. Deadpool? Deadpool? 
What? Why does everybody think I'm Deadpool? <laughs> so that's two DC characters Will Arnett has to play. Okay, because I came out, like, way before he did. Nah, I'm pretty sure you're Deadpool. I am Blade. This July. We can make him our arch nemesis. Then they will see that we're worthy of a movie. I'm not interested in fighting a bunch of sidekicks and a half a robot. Oh, man. I'm never letting you fly my body again. The whole world will Oh, crap. They had Swamp Thing in there. That's a deep cut. Robin. Beast Boy. Raven. Cyborg. Starfire. We're taking you down. How are you gonna do it? What are you gonna do? You gonna fart on me? We wanna have a dance off? You gonna annoy me to death with your waffles? Teen Titans go to the movies. Because if Aquaman can get a movie, anyone can. I mean I mean They're not wrong. I mean Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it, I'll say this, I think it looks better than the show, also, oh, what, what was I gonna say, it looks better than, there was something that came up that, uh, that I, that I, that I knew, like, oh yeah, this is gonna be way better than that even, um, let me take a look back at the trailer, it was, um, Oh, you know what it was? It was the damn, uh, <laughs> that damn Comic-Con, uh, trailer they showed where, like, uh, Rob, where it's, like, the, the edgy Teen Titans that they're doing for the, for the DC streaming service, where it's, like, F Batman, yeah. It looks better than that. And that's saying something. Because nobody wants this. Nobody wanted this. I mean, even the kids, I don't think, wanted this. But, you know what? It doesn't look as bad as it could be. Bad maybe just good trailers. But I I am not I'm not um you know regretting having to see this just off of the marketing. Whereas I was dreading to go into Peter Rabbit and dreading to go I'm dreading to go into the Meg. This this could be fine. This could be perfectly mediocre. I'm willing to give it a shot. I like the voice cast. I love the... I don't... And I think if, the, if as long as the, the movie writing is better than the show writing, we're good. We could be... This could be the best thing to come out of this iteration of the characters. So we'll see. And that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us at our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to favorite that that page and whitelist us on your ad blocker so that you can keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out. And be sure to check out all of our other fine programming. Like I mentioned, I'm doing a book review. You've heard the uh, the uh, the uh, little. Uh, ad for it. Uh, I'm doing a book review podcast where every two weeks I will um, will be reviewing a uh, new book with my friends 
this this coming week tomorrow as of this as of this episode we'll be covering my antonia and we'll get to premiere our brand new logo art so be sure to check that out and of course check out all, all of our stuff donna's stuff is amazing um even go back and listen to some of the other stuff that that are kind of on break you know art i swear uh jim's uh random podcast generator um, our tra- my other podcast, Tragic Missile, and, and Maji Day, which we are trying to get Maji Day back up and running. So stay tuned for updates on that. Um, yeah, go check out all of our other fine programming, and thank you for supporting us. And if you want to listen on the go, you can always uh, find us on your various podcasting platforms. We are on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. So Wherever you listen to podcasts, you should be able to find Popcorn Junkie. And while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show. And, of course, you can always share us on your social media. Our social media home is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. That's where all the big announcements come. That's where you'll find out uh, any updates about the podcast or things going on. I've been meaning to advertise the Patreon more on that. I'll get to it. But um, you can also, if you want to... Talk to me more directly. I'm on Twitter at CornJunkiePod. There I do uh, the Twitter munch-alongs for, for movies that I'm seeing for the podcast or trailer talks ahead of a new release. And uh, I'm just more active on there, interacting with other uh, film reviewers, other film-related persona. Uh, persona? Personas? I think it's personas since it's... I don't think it's a Latin word. But yeah, um... So if you want to keep in touch with me there, I'm at I'm on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod. Uh, I still haven't fi- haven't quite figured out what all I want to do with the Instagram, but I am on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. So there you can you know follow me for various uh, po- posts about uh, this and that stuff. A lot of that stuff will go to the main Facebook feed, so you don't feel left out if you're and feel like you're missing something from the Instagram. If you're Usually the Instagram feed will go to the other feeds. And then uh, you can also support me on Patreon. Oh, um, well, yeah, look, yeah, I'll do the Patreon. Uh, so you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. I broke down the tiers. I'll do that every Patreon spotlight from now on. Um, just so people, so, just so anybody, even if you're just catching a new episode and you this is your first one, then you'll, uh, then you'll, um, be able to learn about the Patreon and whatnot. So every episode is somebody's first. <laughs> so yeah, once again, you can support me on patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. And, uh, and there you'll be able to get not only the, uh, episodes in advance, usually, hopefully, uh, this week, notwithstanding because of internet outages in my area while recording. So, the, uh, uh, so yeah, if you are able to support me on Patreon, and you'll be and you'll be and you'll get plenty of rewards in return. You can also follow me on Stardust. If you haven't yet, be sure to join Stardust. If you like, it's basically Vine for movie and film and TV reactions, movie and film. <laughs> now you can work, you can watch people react to movies, trailers, um, uh, TV TV episodes or TV series. Uh, you can even there are even some. Uh, notable personalities in there. Mars Girl is on there. Uh, the Double Toasted guys are on there. Then they're not as active. Uh, the Schmoes No are on there. Um, I'm not sure who. I think yeah. I know 
uh, Doug Walker did start on it. I have no idea how active he is on that. Um, and then, of course, you can also find individual personalities. You may be able to find some new uh, internet friends through the app. But but whether you like to see people's reactions or you want to give your own reactions, you can come join us on Stardust. I'm at corn. I'm at Popcorn Junkie. Oh, duh! The other internet's John Bailey, Epic Voice Guy from the Honest Trailers. He does. He does. He has mastered this platform. Ep- follow Epic Voice Guy on Stardust. You will not be disappointed. And and once again, follow me at Popcorn Junkie, and you can see my reactions to movies before even the uh, before the episode even comes out. So if you want a preview of what I think of a movie for the podcast, you can uh, check me out on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. And then lastly, th- if there's anything you want to relate to the podcast, any kind of feedback, any kind of criticisms, uh, any kind of uh, you know uh, cosigns, as it were. You know, if you if you want to say what you thought of the movies I reviewed this week, or what you think of the trailers that are coming up this week, I'd love to hear from you. Send your send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. If you want me to, I'll read it out on the podcast. If not, I will always get back to you. So don't be afraid to send me any send send me whatever it is you're thinking about the podcast. That does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And technical difficulties will not stop this podcast from coming out. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look at Funky Popcorn by The M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantarts.com for more of his artwork. So apparently, I confused Unfriended with Friend Request. I thought I had covered Friend Request. I thought I covered Unfriended on the podcast. I had only covered Unfriended. Um, I mean, I'm uh, cut all this. Uh oh. Oh no. Oh no. I think there is an outage in my area. Oh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of outages in my area. So, shoot. I don't have internet. (laughs) You get to hear me live discover that I do not have internet, folks. So, uh, well, with that in mind, uh, expect this podcast to be a little late. uh, uh, Technical difficulties being what they are. So, we'll get, we'll finish this uh when we when um when the internet decides when the internet gets fixed for me if you're listening to this week's podcast hopefully there's no more than this week's podcast and lastly you can always find you can oh no not lastly damn it i'm terrible at this